0: Turn if you would to Philippians, chapter three. Philippians chapter three. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. John Newton is is unfolding for us there exactly what it means to be in heaven eternally with God, glorified. And it's like when you're like a 1,000 years or 10,000 years into it, it's just as fresh, just as glorious, just as wonderful as when it first began. Praise God. That's a living reality for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And man, that'll change the trajectory of your day when you think about it. That'll change the trajectory of your life as it did John Newton, who was once a captain of a slave ship, a slave trader, and was a gross alcoholic, totally just sold in sin and iniquity. He was awful and vile. And then God got a hold of his heart in the depths, in the bowels of a ship going overseas. He was struck to the core that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And he looked to Jesus and his life was totally changed. And he ended up being an abolitionist who would be one of the key movers in getting slavery abolished in England. That's what the gospel does when it gets a hold of somebody. And we're going to talk a little bit about heavenly realities today. So if you would come before the Lord with me in prayer, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to minister to us where we need it most today. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for a man like John Newton who was. A man who knew his vileness. He knew his wickedness, Lord. And such a man am I, Lord. And everybody in here, we are sinners who have rebelled against You. And unless we have been awakened by grace, we remain in that condition. But what a glorious thing it is when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts. When we're able to sing and and praise and glory in the Gospel like we just did when we sung Amazing Grace. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would bless this Word. I pray that You would help us to get our hearts around what's going on here in in Philippians 3. And I pray that You would minister to us. Open our hearts to receive a Word from You. Lord, that it wouldn't be a Word of man, but a Word of God. Because that's what it is when it's in accord with Your Word in the Scriptures. It's the very Word of God. And I pray that You would just put a door over or guard the, the, my mouth that I might not sin against You, that I would get out of the way and that Your Spirit would bless this time and that You would help us. And if there are those struggling in here today, discouraged, beat down by life, beat down by their sin, beat down by discouraging things about their health, Whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that You would breathe life on us and encouragement and that we get a vision of Jesus and the glories of Gospel reality for all who put their trust in Christ. Would You bless this Word and would You blow upon us today in power, in Jesus' name, amen. So today, what I want to talk to us about is the primary identity of a Christian is that he or she is a citizen of heaven. I mean, your primary identity, if you're a Christian, if you trusted Jesus, if you're following Christ, is in heaven. Your citizenship is not first and foremost an American, but a citizen of heaven. And with the Apostle Paul, like you've got one foot in heaven. You've got one foot in the realities of who Christ is. Ultimately, He's the One who went to heaven. He's the One who is sitting at the right hand of the Father who purchased redemption for us by dying on a cross and raising up out of the grave in a new body glorified And he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven, preparing a place for his people. And so when we read the words of the Apostle Paul today, which we're going to do in a few moments, that we're citizens of heaven, I want you to think about what that all means. Because we have a lot wrapped into what it means to be a citizen of America. And there's some glorious things. There's some glorious freedoms and liberties and blessings a part of being an American. But let me tell you, there are much sweeter, much glorious, much more profound realities at work in the souls of anybody who's put their trust in Jesus because they're citizens of Heaven and all the rights and privileges of what it means to be a child of God are yours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to you if you're His. If you've looked to the Son and been saved, if you've put your trust in Jesus, glory awaits. And it infuses purpose and meaning and depth and hope and life for you to live here and now in this world. So forget the old adage, you know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The opposite is true in Scripture. You got to put your mind and fix your mind on glory and that's going to change how you live here. And so I want us to just back up just for a second and think about heaven is probably one of the most confusing doctrines of the biblical revelation that God has given us that's confused in our culture. So in our culture, you're either going to deny it outright and be a full-blown materialist, and all I'm living for is this life and what I can get, and I'm going to grab all I can, while i can i'm living just for this life i'm living paycheck to paycheck i'm living just for you know what am i going to eat what am i going to drink what am i going to wear and it's just another day ho hum back to the drawing board and boy i really hope that i'm going to get that american dream one day get that nice spread you know, kind of ride on retirement. Maybe go to the beach collecting seashells sort of thing. And it's like we're living for that like rest or vacation here and now in this life. And ultimately, the Bible says the best is yet to come for those who have been redeemed. Forget the seashells. And look to the glorious things that await the children of God. Glory is coming. But on the other side, we can actually begin to think some of the most kooky, wacky things about heaven, you know? And and sometimes it conjures these images of, you know, like little angels floating around in the clouds strumming harps and everybody's kind of singing kumbaya up there and it's like it's weird and like who would want to be up there and and god's like this old man with a beard and it's like i don't i don't i don't really want to be around that you know that's not what heaven looks like in the bible we actually read like heaven is 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 the Lord bringing a new heaven and a new earth down. It's Eden restored. It's paradise. It's glorious. It's a bodily, physical reality. It's something that you can taste and see. It's something that you actually are living. But you're living the way you were truly intended. In perfect fellowship with God. Sin is no more. Everything that would separate you from God has been taken away. And the joy of life is full. Far from the sort of thing that you begin to see in the literature books as they fill the bookstore shelves, right? And I I think I've seen so many books. And everybody's got like a certain amount of minutes in heaven. It's like 90 minutes in heaven. 60 minutes in heaven. Oh, this one got 30 minutes in heaven. And they give you an account It has nothing to do with the Bible. But it sure sounds good. But ultimately, it's just pale in comparison to the glory that awaits the citizens of Heaven. I think I remember even reading a book by a man who said he spent 23 minutes in hell. They're just filled. And what's going on there is people's desire for something beyond people's desire for heaven is being played on as a marketing tool. And we've got the book. We've got the thing that God has revealed that tells us what glory is coming. And it's so much better. Don't let somebody else tell you what heaven is like. Read it from the Scriptures. And so today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul is going to kind of dial us in and help us. And you might be like, Peter, this is kind of like still a little bit like ethereal. And I want to really bring this home and help you kind of understand how this matters. There may be some in here who are just totally addicted to pornography. Enslaved to the lusts of their flesh. And the Bible would say the reason for it is their heart is set on this world. So maybe you're there today and it's because your heart is gripped by just physical pleasure and it can't get beyond that. And it's like a slavery cycle that you just keep dipping into that and you can't get out. You got to be liberated by the word of God and by a vision of what Jesus purchased on the cross to get his people citizenship in heaven. Or maybe you're biting your fingernails like, how am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get furniture in the house? What am I going to wear? And Jesus is like, if you're His, you don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. Your Father feeds the sparrows and He clothes the lilies of the field. And are you not of more value than they? They? You've got a father in heaven. So whether you're gripped by materialism or you're gripped by sensuality, what you believe about who Jesus is and what heaven is, is going to impact and influence where you're living here and now. And we're going to see Paul kind of give us some tools To help us navigate this. And and we're going to see, and you're going to see in this passage number one, we need godly examples. Number two, we need to be warned of ungodly examples and enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul would say. And number three, our citizenship, if we're believers, get ready. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our primary allegiance. And it has more to do with the lordship of Jesus over everything that we do, which is often neglected in a lot of the literature out in the stores. Nothing about the lordship of Jesus. A whole lot about what Heaven's going to be like, supposedly. But Jesus is not at the center of it. And anything that's like that is not from God. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read starting in verse 12, just to remind ourselves of last week. And then our text that we're going to look at more specifically will be verses 17 to the end of the chapter. So look at verse 12 with me. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, wrote for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has just said, I'm not perfect, but I'm aiming for that future when I will be one day perfected. And guess what? My eyes are on the prize of the glory that awaits. And I'm like a racer running the race. And he says, verse 15, let those of you who are mature who are godly, think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold fast to what we've attained. And then here, look at our, look at our text. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Imitation. For many of whom... To be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's Paul's word to us and that's God's word to us today. We have godly examples that we are to look to, Paul says. We've got enemies of the cross that we're not to be modeling our lives after. And then, our citizenship is in heaven. So let's look at those one at a time and get some help. Look at verse 17 again. We're, we're to imitate. This is this is the first truth we're to get at. If we're going to be living with heaven in view, we've got to we've got to look to people who are actually already have one foot in heaven, who already have the aroma of heaven about their life, because they're living for the glory of Jesus, not the glory of themselves. They're living for storing up treasures in heaven, instead of storing up treasures merely here, where moth And rust destroys and thieves break in and steal, Jesus would say. you got to store up your treasure in heaven. And these examples, Paul commends by pointing to himself and others like him. Verse 17. Brothers, Smithfield, join in imitating Paul. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's like Paul saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I live for the Lord. Follow me in looking to Christ and glorying in the Gospel that saved you. Paul just had a cross-shaped heart. He loved the Lord and he loved thinking about the redemption that he had because he was like John Newton, right? He was like the slave captain of a slave ship. He was persecuting Christians, throwing them into jail. He's writing this letter now as a Christian himself who had Jesus reveal Himself to him. got saved, began preaching the Gospel, ends up getting thrown into jail on behalf of Christ. And now he's saying, brothers, it's worth it. And follow me as I follow Christ. Because Jesus is better. You're not going to stay in a prison shell living for Jesus if you don't know glory's coming. If you don't know that you can bank on the realities that one day this mortal body will take on immortality. That one day there's more treasure in heaven, in Christ, than anything you can accumulate in this life. And so many of us are probably infected, myself included at times, with the stuff that this world offers. It's going to put stuff before your mind to go after. And Paul's heart was fixed on heaven. He knew that having an eternal perspective changes everything. And he commends for us, follow His example and others like Him. Do you have people in your life that are godly examples? Do you realize discipleship following Jesus has everything to do with the godly models you surround yourself with? All through Philippians, we see Paul pointing to them, right? He's like, have the mind of Christ. Chapter 2. And you want to know some people who have the mind of Christ? Timothy, my true son in the faith, he serves tirelessly for the sake of Christ. Or look at Epaphroditus, who took this letter all the way to Paul, almost died for the sake of bringing a letter to Paul and caring for Paul, because his heart was fixed on eternal realities. He knew what mattered in this life was ultimately living for the King. And you're going to have the next 10,000 years shaping what you do in this life. What's the next 10 billion years going to look like for you? That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. Is your citizenship aimed at Heaven? Are you in allegiance with King Jesus? Or are you seduced? by the fainting pleasures of this present world i just think about like christmas you know we we open toys we have a lot of fun and then like it doesn't take but like maybe a day and the toys are already old you know and then maybe a week and it's like what were those things again you know because the stuff of this present world doesn't last Money is just like everybody in here knows like money is just kind of like runs through your fingers like sand through your fingers. It doesn't last. You can't take it with you. But what you do for Jesus, you can store up for eternity. And Paul was a man who commended his example and others like him join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in me. So we have a direct mandate here for Christian biography. You want to read biographies about great men and women of the faith because you're encouraged, you're instructed, you're being discipled by the, the, the people who have had hearts for Jesus, their souls have been gripped by something real. Like, this is true. This is the Word of God and it changes our lives. The Gospel actually saves people from death and brings them into life. It brings them into contact with a living God who's able to save and cleanse and forgive and renew. And the same people who are stuck in sin living for... for, for the base desires of their corrupt nature are being set free murderers are being transformed and become the apostle paul and when you read christian biography it's like a slap in the face of the devil you know why because that's somebody who's been transplanted out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. You want to read about John Newton and how he got saved? Go get a biography and it'll blow your mind that somebody that crooked could get saved. And then you'll be encouraged, like, well, maybe God could help me, right? Maybe I'm not so messed up after all. Well, no, we are messed up and maybe God's that powerful. That he can redeem us, that he can save us, that he can change us, that he, there's hope for you in progress in the Christian life, in running the race of the Christian life. Because he's taken men like John Newton, he's taken women like Amy Carmichael who was a missionary to India, who just poured herself out to love and care for starving kids and and girls who were sold into sex trafficking and stuff like that. And she just labored in love. And people began to come to Christ. But if you read Christian biography, you're going to get that kind of encouragement. Because Paul's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And follow others like me who've been following Jesus. Who's your Timothy? Who's your Paul? who's your John Newton? Many of my best friends are already dead. And so I read their stories and I marvel at the reality of what God can do in a life. And we have biblical examples too. Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. And it's like a hall of fame or a hall of faith, as some put it. Where we can just consider the lives, just in brief, of different men. And some of it's just naming them and it brings those stories back to your mind. And what more shall I say? The author of Hebrews says For time would fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Ladies women received back their dead from, or by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted, mistreated men and women um, of whom the world was not worthy. And they lived wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised yet, since God had something, provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Brothers and sisters, all those people in the hall of faith, like David who slayed Goliath, like Samson, like those who saw the dead raised, like those who were redeemed. You think of the Pharaoh and the midwives who risked their lives to save Moses. The world wasn't worthy of such people. And I want to tell you that they look forward to our day because we have the precious reality of Christ who saved us. Who raised up out of the grave who was seen by 500 witnesses, who ascended to heaven is sitting at the right hand of the Father because His work was finished on the cross. Men and women whom the world wasn't worthy of did that in the Old Testament. And oh, what glorious realities God has promised for those who are in Christ. Citizens of heaven. Do you have godly examples in your life? Do you have those who have the scent of heaven about their life to look to? And oh, what a difference it'll make. Men and women whom the world was not worthy of. And one day, one day, the rewards will be countless for those who gave their lives, that gave their time, gave their resources, gave their all for the sake of Christ. Will you be such men and women? Will you be such godly examples? It's not just look to them, but will you become one? Truth number two. Paul says, beware of the enemies of Christ. Not everybody's going to follow Paul's example. Not everybody's going to believe the gospel. Not everybody who claims the name of Christianity is going to actually follow Christ. Look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is uh, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So we see Paul just warning us. Like, hey, not everybody who claims to be a Christian is going to live like a Christian. In fact, there are going to be some who name the name of Jesus who say they're Christians, but actually deny Jesus by every way in which they live. Their life is is lying about the Gospel that they say they believe. And Jesus would say, some people acknowledge Him with their lips, but they deny Him by their lives. In vain do they worship Him. And their hearts are far from Him. And Paul identifies these people as enemies of the cross of Christ. And if you remember earlier in the chapter, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who are deceiving people and thinking you've got to add something to the cross of Christ. And many of these people who were going by the name Christian were saying you need need the cross of Christ, but you also need... Something else. You need to be circumcised. Or you, you know what? You actually, you need to trust in your baptism. Or you need to trust in the fact that your name was on a a church membership roll. Or you need to, there needs to be something else as if to say that Christ's atonement on a cross was not sufficient to save anybody. And no one can be saved in this room if they don't believe. That Jesus' death is enough. And that their trust in Him and what He did on a cross, their reliance on Him, their turning away from sin and self and looking to a cross, that old rugged cross where the Prince of Glory died. If you're not looking there and there alone, there is no salvation. And you'll find yourself being an enemy of the cross of Christ. And where are you today? Are you trying to add a little something to what Jesus did? Are you looking to something other than Christ alone for salvation? Paul says, don't go there. And he reveals the anatomy of what this looks like because a lot of this gets fleshed out in how they live in ways that are contrary to everything Jesus stands for. The Lordship of Christ That Jesus is King over everything in my life is so far from their lips and their hearts that they deny Him by everything they do. And notice the strong warning in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. He's brokenhearted. The Apostle's just sick and brokenhearted that there are those who go by the name Christian who will really be at the end of the day, enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 18. And you know them because verse 19 says their end is destruction. That's where they're headed. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. They're they're happy about the sin they're doing. They're celebrating it. They love it. They love to champion it. They're calling light darkness and darkness light. Sounds so familiar. Sounds so strangely familiar to the spirit of the age. And let me tell you, there are many, many, many Christians today, or so-called Christians, who would name the name of Jesus and champion something contrary to the revealed will of God and call it good, and call it love, and call it liberty, And all it does is enslave. And with tears, the Apostle Paul says, be warned, many go that way. And they deny Christ by the love of the world, and they change the things that are of God, and they pervert the straight ways of the Lord. Verse 19 gives us four things that we see that they do number one they've got a destination these enemies of the cross of christ are headed for destruction so make no mistake god's going to settle accounts and those who name the name of jesus but live a life totally contrary to jesus who are living verse 19 says according to the god of their bellies so they don't even have the god the true and living god they're living according to their belly and maybe that's kind of strange but it's it's a way that the Greek is kind of communicating this idea that they're living by the base impulses of their fleshly desires. They're living, it could be translated sensually, they're living just given in to all sorts of sexual perversion and immorality, and they're under the just condemnation of God. And it also has this sense in which the same word is the word we use for gluttony. This idea of like overindulgence, the gluttony, the the sense in which you cannot get enough of something and you're going to stuff yourself with something until you feel better. The gluttonous living is a living based on your gut as your God. And so many are carried away in these ways. And brothers and sisters, we're being warned by the Apostle Paul, get your heart set on heaven. Get a better trajectory. Look to Jesus. Submit to His Lordship. Be warned of these who deny the very cross of Christ. He would call them enemies of the cross of Christ because they deny everything Jesus stands for. Their end is destruction because their God is their belly. And that's who they worship. Paul once said that many he knew were infected with this reality when worldliness invades the visible church. Demas was a dearly beloved brother who he said rejected him and Christ for the love of the world and left him to rot in a prison Verse 19 says, they glory in their shame and their minds are set merely on what? Earthly things. They don't look to Christ. Their allegiance is not to Jesus in heaven, but to the base realities of just living in the world. They're living like animals. Animals just live by the gut. Christians live by a new heart. Christians are aware of their sin probably more than anybody else in the world. Christians should be real about their sin because they know they've been redeemed. Listen, we we are some we're some jacked up people. Can I say that? We're, we're some, we've got some mess going on in here, right? Every one of us, if we're honest, right? And you know, you you know my history. You know the reality that I I once hated Christians. I once lived a life of just wanton, reckless, materialistic living, living by my gut. And Jesus delivered me out of it. But we can be honest about that because we got a Redeemer who actually saves people from those sorts of sins. So it's not like we're like, oh, we 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 hate the homosexual. We hate the the the, the lesbian. We hate all of these things as if like. Jesus doesn't redeem those kinds of people. He does! He can save sinners. He can save people who are caught up in these lifestyles. He can save the person totally addicted to pornography. He can save the person who's totally addicted to their pocketbook. He can save the person who's totally enslaved to the fears of this world and has no trust in their heart unto the living God. He can save all of those people. He can save to the uttermost all who draw near to him. But we do need to be warned that worldliness can creep in. That's why the Apostle Paul said, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's not saying don't love people in the world. He's saying don't be in love with the material world. Don't be in love with The things that it holds up as valuable and good and glorious and desirable and and, and all of the things that the world's going after. What's your 401k look like? Are you a successful person? What matters is not how successful you are in the eyes of the world, but what does God think of you? That's the question that matters. Who are you? Are you in Christ or outside of Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? Or are you living totally enslaved to your nature and living in darkness? And if anybody really knew where you were at, you would shudder in fear. But God knows. And God wants to deliver you from that today if that's where you're at. The Christian has had his mind transformed and his heart redeemed, but he still needs to be warned And I think of Solomon. Solomon was the smartest king who ever lived. He was the wisest person on the planet. The brother had knowledge, right? People would come around and be like, oh, Solomon, he can answer anything. He knows anything. And they were all about Solomon's wisdom. But did you know that in 1 Kings chapter 11, we find out something about Solomon that is very tragic, and it's right in the theme of what we've been talking about. Solomon clung to the pleasures of the world. Solomon accumulated wealth. Solomon accumulated armies and chariots. And Sol- Solomon accumulated wives. brother had like 700 wives and some, like 300 concubines. And ultimately, they led his heart astray. And he turned away from the living God Listen to how First Kings says it. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. No, it no longer says he loved the Lord. He loved many foreign women. And along with his, the daughter of Pharaoh the Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidonian, the Hittite women from all the nations concerning which the Lord said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these women and they turned his heart away. The wisest man on the planet had his heart turned away from the living God. And maybe worldliness has come in and deep down you're in the stranglehold of it. And you need help today. You need the Spirit of God to Liberate you. You need to be reminded again that there's a Redeemer who can save you from that. There's a Redeemer who can clean you up. There's a Redeemer who can give you a new beginning. There's one who went to a cross to save you, and there's hope for you. Some some of you in here are like, I don't have any hope, and I can't do any different, and I'm just slave. I'm a slave to it. I can't help myself. But Jesus can set you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So the Christian does not have to live as an enemy of the cross or cling to the things of this world. He's, not, he's to be warned that this is, these are things that are going to try to strangle out the life of God. And the devil wants us focused on this present world. He wants to allure you away from the true and living God with the world. That's always been his deal. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian church at one point when he talked about sin. He said, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that would be a heavy indictment. But he doesn't end there. He says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what God's in the business of doing, taking people out of the kingdom of this world and transplanting them into the kingdom of his beloved son, washing them, cleaning them, justifying them. His smile is over them because he sees them in Christ and in all of his righteousness. And don't you want to be made clean? Such is the bill of re- the, 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 the reality of those who have trusted in Christ. Such were some of you, but you've been washed and renewed. So there's hope when we face the reality of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Lastly, and truth number three, is that we are true citizens of Heaven. Our primary allegiance, what we ought to be considering ourselves most identified with, is our citizenship is not in this world, it's in heaven. Our King is not of this world, He's in heaven. And one day He's coming back. And let's look at this in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. So, the the enemy of the cross loves the world and the things of the world, but our citizenship... As Christians is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the lordship language there, and He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Jesus has authority over all things, and He has the authority. To not only forgive our sins, but one day to give us totally renewed bodies who are not plagued by sin. Because right now we're plagued by sin. Right now the reason our bodies decay and wear out is because we live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. Even though we've been redeemed, our bodies are decaying and inwardly we're groaning. Longing for glory. We're longing for it to be made new. And Jesus promises all of His followers, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you that. But I go to prepare a place. And I raised up out of the grave. And He raised up out of the grave out of His own power. And if He raised up, the same power that raised Him from the dead can raise you up on the last day. And that's the promise we see here is that being a citizen of heaven means that your primary allegiance is with Jesus. And now the church at Philippi got this on a number of levels because Philippi was a, a colony of Rome. So if you were a colony of Rome, you had all the privileges of being a Roman city and a Roman citizen if you were born in that colony. So all of the people who are natives to Philippi are thinking to themselves, yeah, we've got a little Rome going on here. Sometimes we can get that nationalism going on in America, right? We're Americans. we got the freedoms and the blessings of being in America. We've got the Constitution. We've got these rights and privileges and protections and glorious realities that we should be glad about. And the Philippians were pretty glad about their identity as Philippians a Roman colony. And Paul takes that deliberately and says, I want I want y'all to know something. And and everybody here just like hear me on this. Your primary citizenship is not being an American. Your primary citizenship is not to this nation. It's to a city that has been made without hands, whose builder and maker is God. It's in heaven. Your primary king ultimately is King Jesus. And what Paul was saying to all the Philippians is, listen, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is. So if Caesar's conflicting with Jesus, guess who you're going with? Guess who's got your heart? Guess who's got your allegiance? Doesn't matter where the culture's going. You follow King Jesus. And that is the Spirit of Christ in the church. That's what God does. He takes people and makes their primary allegiance, not this present world, but their citizenship is in heaven and they are a heavenly outpost and deposit on earth to be salt and light to the world to take people out of the darkness and transplant them into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And it happens when we preach the Gospel that Christ was crucified, Christ was risen, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, Christ can save you no matter where you're at, no matter how far out you are, you can be forgiven and made new. No matter what dungeon of sin you plunged yourself into, He can grab you up, clean you off, make you new if you'd look to Him and live. And your citizenship, if you are a Christian, is in Heaven. And that's how you can live boldly in this world. And as our culture begins to get darker, let the light shine brighter. We were made for this moment, brothers and sisters. We were made for this time. And the church should rise up and live as the church, as salt and light in this world, because your citizenship is in heaven. You don't have to be worried about how dark the culture is. Because you know what? Jesus is better. Jesus is more glorious. And one day, He's going to make it all new. So you can live differently here and now. You can live proclaiming a king who can change people's hearts? And no other king can do that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And guess what? This king holds the, the, the earthly king's ha- hearts in his hand, and he can turn them whatever way he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar found that out, right? Dude was out in the wilderness like some kind of wild animal going crazy until he submitted his heart to God and acknowledged the one true and living God. And some of us need to acknowledge our need for King Jesus today. Maybe you're not a citizen of heaven. Maybe you're not homesick for heaven because you're drunk on the earth. You're drunk with the pleasures of Egypt and this world in this present age and it's making you sick. And you can't even enjoy life because you're drunk on the perverse realities of living in a fallen world but what does the christian do verse 21 the christian is one who awaits actually verse 20 we await a savior the lord jesus christ who's coming again who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body do you know that jesus is coming back Jesus is coming back. That's good news for Christians. Jesus is coming back. He's going to settle accounts. Every injustice in this world will be righted by Jesus. So some of y'all are thinking, like, there's people getting away with all sorts of stuff. They are not getting away with anything. Everyone will stand before the justice of God and the judgment seat of God and give an account for their life. And those who are without Christ will perish. Those who are without Christ will receive the just punishment they're due. But those in Christ await a glorious return of the Savior who does what? He takes their lowly broken bodies and exchanges them and transforms them for renewed glorious bodies just like His. You want to get Jesus' glorified body? That's what's happening when He comes back. He's going to raise you up. Assuming He comes back after we're dead. Otherwise, you're going to meet the Lord face to face. And then it's going to be on in a good way, right? But ultimately, listen, Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Our citizenship is above. So when you think about heaven, know that all of that identity is wrapped up in it. It's not just a cute, fluffy little angel running around like, you know, like that's not heaven. There's going to be angels. And guess what? When angels appeared in the Bible, like people freaked out. People were like, they were tempted to worship C.S. Lewis once said, guess what? Listen, you know what you're going to be in glory. You know what you're going to look like. You're going to be tempted. If you were to see yourself in glory in your new body, you would be tempted right now to worship that. Just like all the other people who got angelic appearances were like bowing down to things and they're like, no, 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 you worship God. Don't worship me. You know, get on up, brother. Like, so here, here's the thing. Glory's coming. How is that going to change how you live now? Pick up a Christian biography and get your heart around an example of somebody who's got just the breath of heaven about his life. John Newton's a great example. Adoniram Judson, great example. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones. There are so many saints of whom the world is not worthy. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones In in, in light of these heavenly realities, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a famous preacher in 20th century England, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he preached with like the force of an electric shock. And people were just like spellbound by this guy because he was just so full of the Spirit. And ultimately, Lloyd-Jones, at the end of his life, he's like 80 years old, and he is dying. Can't talk anymore. Slips a slip of paper to his wife. And it read, you don't need to pray for me any more to be healed. Don't hold me back from the glory. Don't hold me back from the glory. Is that our hearts? Don't hold me back from the glory. Listen, this man, the Apostle Paul, Lloyd-Jones, any Christian who's had his heart gripped by the gospel has the breath of heaven about him. And glory is coming, and it should change the way we live now. Now, I want us to bow our heads. I pray for you, and I I want you to think about where you're at today. And if you need to get your heart right with the Lord, I just encourage you to do it. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Father, I pray for those who have come under conviction that the Spirit is working in their hearts. They know they're not right with You. Things have gone the wrong direction. They've been just consumed by the world. Maybe consumed by fear, consumed by discouragement, consumed by slavery to some substance, whatever it might be. I pray, Lord, that they would hear the Spirit calling them to turn away from their sin, to trust in Christ, to to look away from sin and self, acknowledge their sin before You, and to ask You to save them right here and right now. And for those of us who've just gotten into some bad habit patterns, we're not really thinking about heaven, we're not really th- having an eternal mindset, we don't have anybody that we're looking to as models of godliness, so Lord, I just pray that Your Spirit would be on them and producing conviction and and move upon them and encourage them to begin to pursue discipleship, begin to pursue living for Christ, begin to submit to the Lordship of Jesus over all their life. Not just some of it, not just Sunday, not just a little bit, but Lord, you're Lord over our lives. You're Lord over what we watch and read. You're Lord over how we spend our money. You're Lord over what we do with our time and and our resources. You're Lord over how we love our kids. You're you're Lord over how we love our wives and our husbands. Lord, You're King. And we just want to submit to You. And I pray, Father, wherever we're at tonight Lord, or today, (laughs) this morning, that we would entrust ourselves to You a gracious God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to those who fear Him. And Lord, I pray that we would turn to You and get encouragement and help and renewal and be strengthened by Your grace. And if we've never trusted Jesus, Lord, that we would just turn our hearts over to You right now. If if some are there, that they would just say, Lord, save me. Even now in their heart, Lord, save me save me from my sin, make me new, make me clean, give me the righteousness that only you can give. Lord, I pray you would bless us and encourage us and strengthen us to be a heavenly-minded people for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.